Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Yet in today's world, there's a great debate going on between those who believe God created the world and those that believe in evolution. What is the best proof of creation? How do we explain to those who do not believe God's word that God created the world and everything in it? Join us today as we discuss creationism versus evolution. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. With me in the studio is Reverend Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. He does a weekly radio program on this topic and I thought he would make a great guest for us as we begin talking about evolution versus creationism. Welcome, Pastor Worth. Glad to be with you. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our program today. Um, how did you first become interested in creation versus evolution? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, had faithful Christian parents and faithful Christian pastors. We attended church faithfully, and what I heard in the home and in the church was consistent. God is our creator, and he created us, as the Bible says in Genesis. And then I went to public school, and by the time I got to junior high, I began to realize something doesn't add up. What I'm hearing at home and at church doesn't match what I'm hearing in the public school classroom. And it forced me, uh, in pursuit of an answer to that, to study both the Bible and science that much more carefully in order to come to a resolution of what for me was sort of a dilemma. How do you explain the discrepancy between what I'm taught in science classrooms and public school versus what I'm taught in the home and in my church what the Bible says about uh, Genesis. And I am firmly convinced that the Bible is true, that what God says is absolutely how it would be. And wouldn't you think it should be that way? Who was there but God? He should know what he did. And so we certainly believe what God says in Genesis and the rest of Scripture regarding creation. But I am also firmly convinced that the best scientific evidence is in total harmony with that. So whereas we're often led to believe that there's this huge discrepancy between the assured results of science versus what the Bible teaches, I really don't think that's so at all. You know, we don't need to be afraid of fossils. We don't need to be afraid of science. And and that's something I would like to talk to people about today. Okay, very good. Well, you know, Darwin started this. Um, tell us just a little bit about what he taught and uh, why people have been so sure that he was right, and yet he isn't. Okay, that's a very good question. You know, Charles Darwin is credited with popularizing the idea of uh, biological evolution. He isn't actually the first person to come up with the idea, but it certainly took off with his writings. And the basic idea of Darwinian evolution, particularly as it's taught today, is this, that in the beginning there was matter and energy but no life. Then uh, by chance, uh, the random forces of nature caused somehow the simplest forms of life to arise spontaneously out of non-living matter. And then those simplest forms of life over vast time periods acted upon by natural selection gradually became more and more complex until you finally have all the variety and complexity of life that we see today. Um, 
And now that idea has caught on and has really become the dominant view in most scientific fields, certainly in, in uh, public school classrooms, in uh, television and radio and, and uh, print uh, media as they present how we came to be. It's basically a molecules-to-man approach to origins. But it really lacks scientific evidence, especially at key places. And uh, I would say the the public has generally been hoodwinked into believing it is so when it really is kind of a house of cards. So, I mean, there are problems with the theory of evolution from the get-go. No one has been able to show, for example, how non-living matter could spontaneously give rise to life. Now, plenty of experiments have been done to try to bring this to fruition. And perhaps you recall from your own education uh, the the story about how if you mix ammonia and methane gas and water together in a laboratory and run an electric spark through it, you can get some amino acids. And way back when we were kids, they said, aha, see, that's proof of the truth of the theory of evolution. Well, as a matter of fact, that's not so. And today, uh, people who uh, would read up on this, especially using resources such as Answers in Genesis and the Institution, Institute for Creation Research and other wonderful Christian organizations as these, uh, they'll, they'll explain to you very patiently the scientific uh, evidence there and what really took place. So in that one, just to summarize, you know, the, the Miller experiments that are often trotted out as proof that life could arise spontaneously. First of all, they didn't create life. They were successful in the laboratory to come up with a handful of amino acids, even though we need like 20 amino acids that are essential to life. And the amino acids that they produced were of mixed variety. There's left-handed and right-handed amino acids, and life depends on them being consistently one kind, and they were not, and therefore they would not spontaneously form into chains that could then progress to be DNA and so forth. So uh, that kind of evidence, that the way it's presented in the public classroom, hoodwinks people into believing, that, oh, we've proved that life can arise from non-living matter, when actually the result of that is the opposite, that it proves that life couldn't arise by spontaneous uh, uh, f- action in, in the not, out of non-living matter. And you know, you and I could say, even if they had succeeded in pro- producing a living cell from that experiment, what would it have proven? An intelligent being can manipulate non-living matter to create life. So really, it wouldn't have pro- proven uh, uh, evolution either. It still would have pro- pointed to an intelligent design by a wise being. Uh, and it goes on that way. The fossil evidence, for example, people think that fossils automatically prove that evolution is true. But again, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, we have literally billions of fossils that have been found since the time of Charles Darwin, and they've been categorized. And you know what we find out? They can be categorized just as currently living organisms are categorized into distinct kinds with large, systematic, unbridgeable gaps between the various created kinds. The transitional forms that you would expect to find between the various created kinds, if evolution were true, are missing. And and this is, this is not a small problem. This is a huge problem for the theory of evolution. If evolution were true, 
We should have all kinds of in-between kinds that are not there. And so again, that's very powerful proof that's in harmony with what the Bible teaches about creation, and very much a problem for those who would believe in molecules to man evolution. Uh, Well, you you talked a minute ago about the fossils. How much did the flood impact what we see in our world today, the fossils and and the different uh, um, things that we see in creation? Um, Isn't that a big part of what we teach as Christians? Absolutely. And I think that's something uh, our listeners want to take into account, too, when they think this through for themselves and if they talk about this with others, is that we have a large amount of evidence supporting what the Bible teaches about a worldwide cataclysmic flood. The more you understand about how fossils are formed and where we find fossils, the more you'll say, wow, this fits right in with what the Bible teaches of the great flood of Noah's day. For example, when you study how fossils are formed, fossils don't take millions and billions of years to form. Fossils can form rather quickly. The key thing is that something has to be suddenly buried by sediment. That's the key thing. And so we've found fossils of things that, uh, you know, are less than 100 years old. But what happens is they're suddenly buried by sediment, and then uh, the process of fossilization can take place. And when it comes to fossils, you know, we find fossils all over the world, especially large amounts of marine fossils, marine life, including at very high altitudes, not just at what today is beside the sea. You know, in high mountainous regions of of continents around the world, you find large amounts of fossils. In fact, 95% of all fossils are marine invertebrates kinds of seashells. And of the remaining 5%, then you have your vertebrates of various kinds, including reptiles and birds and mammals and so forth. Um, Again, with the fossil record, something people often don't understand is, is that in the same rock layers in which we find the fossils of dinosaurs, which people who believe in evolution say became extinct 65 million years ago, in those very same fossil layers, we find all the other uh, groups of animals that we still have today. There are birds, there are turtles, there are amphibians, uh, there are mammals in those same rock layers. If evolution were true, why would that be so? You know, they make it sound when they tell their story, when they spin the interpretation of what they find in the rocks, they make it sound like there's millions and billions of years and that dinosaurs were gone long before there were birds, long before there were mammals. And that's not true at all. Um, likewise, you asked about the, the things that we see as a result of the flood. You know, we, we do see that, uh, as God said in the beginning, he created various kinds. Now, um, there, there is variation within a kind. And so take dogs, for example. Um, God created the original dog kind. Today, in addition to domestic dogs of various breeds that we have today that can look very different one from another, you still have things like wolves and foxes and coyotes and dingoes. These are all part of the dog kind that God originally created. Likewise with elephants. You know, that we know that some kinds have become extinct, but there are others of the elephant kind that like the woolly mammoth and so forth. So, This all fits in beautifully with a creation view of origins, but it's a big problem really for a theory of origins that is a molecules-to-man theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. Good. 
How would you answer those who say that science and religion are simply two different ways of knowing truth? That's an interesting question, and it often comes up in the church, particularly when people want to try to uh, straddle the fence. Mm -hmm. If you want to say, well, I believe in God, but I believe in science, particularly I believe evolution to be science instead of religion, and I would maintain it's religion. But when people say that they want to believe that evolution is science, but they want to believe the Bible too, they'll often try to compromise the Bible. And one way of doing that is to say, well, religion is one way of knowing truth, science is another. And what they'll try to say is, when you look at the world around you, you need science to understand that. But when you look at the Bible, that gives you the idea of meaning and purpose, which science cannot do. Science cannot give you the answer to why are we here or what is our purpose in living. And while that is true, it fails to understand the fact that what the Bible claims to tell us also about the world that you observe is true. So, and, and let's go to the book of Genesis just to, to talk about that. You know, when, when we read in the beginning that God caused, you know, let there be light and there was light and he separated light from darkness. Do we still observe that? You know, if, yes, we do. We still see this cycle of light and darkness, this cycle of day and night that God put in place as recorded in the book of Genesis. Uh, it isn't until the fourth day of creation that God creates the celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And yet when God creates them on the fourth day, notice that their apparent motions from the standpoint of someone standing on the surface of the earth correspond with a cycle of light and darkness that God already put in place on day one. Is that something we still observe? Yes, it is. Also, Genesis tells us that God put them there to, to, to mark days and signs, uh, signs and days and years. Well, you know what? Is that something we still observe too? It is. You know, you hear about how we have to adjust our calendars. We've tried over the millennia to come up with uh, timekeeping devices, clocks and calendars, and they've always had to be refined and recalibrated. And to this day, while we have very sophisticated ways of marking time, we have to add not only the leap year, the leap day every leap year, every four years, but they also add a leap second from time to time to recalibrate everything because we still keep time ultimately by the celestial bodies that God put in place. God is the ultimate timekeeper, and we still acknowledge that even in the scientific realm. And I think the ultimate thing is people who want to make a distinction between science and religion often will make science the final authority for themselves. And what we see and observe is supposed to be the final authority rather than God's sure word. But I would remind our listeners that scientific ideas are constantly changing. What people were sure of even 20 years ago, today that's thrown out and we say, well, now we know better. We didn't know 20 years ago what we know today. And scientific ideas, scientific theories are constantly changing. But God's word does not change. It does not lie. It does not deceive. It is our sure foundation. And as a Christian, you know, I think it's the safe thing, the correct thing to begin with God's word, and then to interpret everything else that we observe in the light of God's sure word, particularly as that ties in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because so often people think that we can uh, separate what the Bible teaches in Genesis about creation and Adam and Eve and the fall into sin and the flood in Noah's day, and separate that out as if that's mythology, but still adhere to a basic faith in 
God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I would maintain that that's a very dangerous thing to do because you're going to say God is lying over here, but he's telling me the truth over here, even though the truth of creation, the fall, and salvation are taught side by side from Genesis to Revelation. Think of the Apostle Paul writing uh, to the Romans when he talks about the fact that by one man sin came into the world and death by sin and death passed through to all men because all have sinned. Then he goes on to say that life and salvation came by the one man Jesus Christ. Adam, one man was disobedient and he brought sin and death into the world. Jesus was perfectly obedient, and by his obedience brought life and salvation. You know, if Adam is a mythological creature, then what are you going to make of Jesus Christ? Uh Likewise, in in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, that great chapter about the resurrection, and he says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, the teaching of, of Genesis is in the New Testament continually quoted as if it is literal truth. And I think it's a mistake for Christians today to think that we can somehow separate uh, what is taught in Genesis as if it is not true and still adhere to the reality of what God did for us in the person, words, and works of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus quoted Genesis as literal fact. When the question came up about marriage, for example... He says, have you never read that in the beginning he made them male and female? And so, you know, whenever Jesus or the apostles refer to Genesis, they do so soberly and they do so with a confidence that what is said there is literally so and is the basis of what we believe and how we act today. Okay. I want to make just a few announcements, and then I'm going to come back to ask you some more questions. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Live the Six. Being an Everyday Missionary. To request a complimentary copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Please make sure you give us your complete name and address when you call or write. The Family Shield radio program airs on more than 50 radio stations each week, throughout the United States, and is also available through our podcast. We are a listener-supported ministry. We invite your prayers and support. If you'd like to support us, send a gift to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. You can also donate on our website at www.fmshield.com familyshieldministries.com. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to www.thrivent.com slash Thrivent Choice or call Thrivent at 1-800-847-4836 and one of their employees will help you. Remember, you choose but Thrivent gives the gift. For more information, contact us at witness2family at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to Family Shield and for your prayers. Learn more again at www.familyshieldministries.com. This is Kay Meyer, host for today's Family Shield program. Thanks for listening. I want to go back to my guest, Reverend Warren Worth. We're talking about 
evolution versus creationism, and there's so many things to talk about. What do you think is really important for our listeners to know? What is important for them to know? What I would like people to know is that you can trust God's word from the very first verse of scripture. Do not be easily disturbed, easily shaken in your faith by the things that you see on a television special about evolution, or when you go to the museums and see the displays. Uh, So often people see these things and they feel like, oh no, the Bible isn't true. My faith is silliness. It's, It's just simply superstition. That is not the case. You know, your faith in God's word can be sure and secure. It's as sure as God is true. His word is true. You do not need to be easily shaken. And there are wonderful resources today, more than ever before, to help the Christian understand also the scientific answers to the questions one might have uh, about fossils, about creation, about the great flood of Noah's day. Answers in Genesis is one of those organizations that is very wonderful. Dr. David Menton, Ken Ham, and others who are very knowledgeable. These are real scientists, by the way. You know, you sometimes hear people say that no real scientist uh, doubts that the theory of evolution taught by Darwin is true. That is simply not Not the case. There are hundreds and hundreds of scientists, real scientists with real degrees, doctorates in their specialties, whether it's astrophysics or biology or um, anatomy uh, and so forth, all the chemistry, all the various scientific disciplines. There are people who do believe what the Bible says is true and see all kinds of problems with Darwinian evolution, but it gets taught as religious truth and dogma to the extent that anyone who questions it is in danger of losing his credibility with his peers, so that there are many scientists who are afraid to speak out on this. Perhaps some of our listeners saw the movie a couple of years ago by uh, Ben Stein. It was called mm-hmm. Expelled. I did. And, and he documented the fact that people uh, who are real scientists, who had real scientific reasons for doubting the truthfulness of Darwinism, were uh, able, they, they lost their jobs, they lost their funding, yeah. And, and they were ridiculed even though no one really was able to answer their objections. So it wasn't a matter of answering the objections that they raised. It was a matter of treating them as if they were heretics because evolution has become uh, the prevailing religious view, not uh, really a truly scientific view. Science is supposed to be able to be challenged. You're supposed to be able to question things, even ideas that have been long accepted. In science, you're supposed to be able to question them and challenge them and test them. But when it comes to Darwin, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, And yet, again, we thank the Lord that there are people who have been bold enough to speak out, and now we have organizations such as Answers in Genesis, the Institute for Creation Research, and other groups where people who are scientists can explain the real science that uh, that shows how the theory of evolution is not good science and shows how what the Bible teaches about creation is totally in harmony with what we see and observe and contest in a scientific way. Whether you're talking about fossils, whether you're talking about uh, the various uh, biological kinds, whether you're talking about DNA. I think this is a fascinating thing. The more we've learned about genetics in the last 50 years, uh, the more we've seen uh, the signature of God. You see the signature of God in this wonderful uh, biochemical code of DNA and how living things all get their instructions on how to, to live from this. 
And the more we understand about DNA, the more we understand about the cell, the more we marvel at the wisdom and might of our God who created us. And to think that that God also then redeemed us by sending his son Jesus to be made flesh, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to die on the cross and rise again so that we could be forgiven and saved. How wonderful it is to believe that and then to see how it all fits together. There is no contradiction between the gospel and what God says in creation. Not at all. I just wanted to mention, you mentioned answers in Genesis. My husband, myself, and our our youngest son went to their creation museum about two years ago. And what a great museum that is. And I know now they're getting ready to build an ark the size of the real one from the Bible, and I can't wait to go back. But um, um, some of our listeners know that our youngest son passed away that trip was the last trip we took with him and it helped him understand so much because he had had a lot of friends that were believing evolution and he had always stood up for what he had been raised as a christian but he on the way home he just couldn't stop talking about all that he saw so um i I think that it's important that we educate our youth and, Absolutely, uh, and, and that's a wonderful way to do so. Uh, the is. Creation Museum is only about a six-hour drive from St. Louis, so it's very doable. Very I encourage families to consider that. And the resources available through Answers in Genesis are easily wonderful. available. Answersingenesis.org, a wonderful place. Check it out, their website, their store. If you have the chance to go to the Creation Museum, do so. Yeah. Now, my last question for you. What should a Christian do if his or her church our pastor, our Christian school, teaches evolution as fact and the Bible as a metaphor. Well, first of all, I would say pray about this and then find a way respectfully to uh, talk in private with your pastor or church leaders about this, letting your concerns be known and not being in attack mode, but, you know, in in Christian love saying, you know, I I just have questions about this and see if you can start a dialogue and perhaps ask them if they've ever considered the fact that the theory of evolution uh, is a theory that's in jeopardy from the scientific side and that the, what is taught as fact, does not harmonize at all with what the Bible says. The Bible clearly teaches creation in six natural days. I mean, the, the word yom means day in Genesis 1, and they, the days are as we see them, a cycle of light and darkness. And you, know, you don't want to disbelieve what God says and believe the fallible ideas of men. And see if you can start a conversation and again, use the wonderful resources that are available through groups such as Answers in Genesis that can be of help to you to give those perhaps to your pastor or teacher and ask them if they will read them and consider them. It's an eye-opening experience. People very often just have never heard the other side of the question. Yeah, I I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Well, let me just make a few uh, announcements as we close, and then I might have time to come back for a quick statement from you. Again, my guest has been Reverend Warren Worth. He's the pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, correct? But he also does a weekly radio program on AM850 KFUO on this topic, 905, every Friday. And I think it might be a good thing for us to uh, cross-promote our stations. So I I just want to thank you for 
for listening. Uh, and uh, we ask the Lord to bless you and your family. If you want to learn more about Family Shield Ministries, go to our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. This is Kay Meyer of Family Shield. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.